Well, it was exciting this week at uh, the new location. It's hard to call it Influence Church because we keep calling it the what? The post office. And, uh, but it is the post office. It is Influence Church. But it's exciting to see the progress it's made. And sheetrock started going up this week. Electric started going in. And we are, uh, we are really on the countdown to, uh, to be open on November 3rd is our first uh, opening service. So if you have great exotic plans uh, for November, cancel them. Uh, because we're going to open a church, amen? And uh, it's, been, uh, it's been about 18 months now since we started this church, and God has blessed us beyond what we could ever imagine. Uh, through that location we have there, uh, people drive through, the cars go through the post office area, 1.5 cars per minute. Now think about that. And there's our booth, and there's our people sitting there telling them about Jesus, Talking about what God's doing, talking about life and what's going on, and we've uh, we've already seen probably four or five families come through the post office in the last couple of weeks who found a church through that source. And if you're one of them, God bless you. We're glad to have you here, and uh, we intend to be your service for church and your service for the post office as well. Amen. You know, we live in a, a really interesting time, and people oftentimes, when I talk on the subject of prophecy, which is one of my really kind of the big three topics I love to talk about, they always say, well, isn't it always like this? Hasn't there always been people saying the end of the world's coming and this and that is coming? Absolutely, there has, without a doubt. What makes the difference is the biblical framework that we find ourselves within, Unlike any other generation, we are living in last days prophetic revealed in Scripture. And let me give you a couple examples of that. I have a commentary written in 1890. In this commentary, it says, when you see Israel become a nation, you will know that the last days have begun. That was 1948 they became a nation. This guy looking ahead read Scripture as we read Scripture and said 60 years out, that is the beginning of some big changes that are going to happen. Because Israel had not been a nation since 609 B.C. when Babylon came in with Nebuchadnezzar, took the captives away, and and from 2,500 years now, Israel has ceased to exist God brought them up according to Isaiah where it says that shall a nation be born in one day, indeed it was, and we see that evidence. So now we find this framework we're in. Okay, now we've waited all these hundreds of years, these thousands of years for the fulfillment of prophecy. We've seen God bring Israelites from uh, Jews out of Ethiopia, out of Russia in this great regathering of people that happened. And all of a sudden, you begin to see things that are fulfilled in the book of Isaiah, the book of Zechariah, the book of Daniel coming together. And now we're really on the edge of the next big prophetic moment, I believe, in Scripture. Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 tells us there's going to be a coalition of armies that are going to come against the nation of Israel. It also talks about Damascus falling in a single day, being destroyed. We know historically that was impossible because of the weaponry that mankind had. Now we find ourselves in a situation where this coalition of Russia, Syria, Persia, and this is all accounted in in the book of Ezekiel chapter 38, this coalition of nations gathered together. Never before were there a coalition of nations like that. So we know prophetically we're on the doorstep of Ezekiel chapter 38. 
Now, what's happened over the last couple of weeks has been very interesting in Syria. Over 100,000 people have died in that civil war by that despotic ruler. We've also seen almost a million or plus, we don't really know, displaced people. And we've seen gas being used now to destroy the lives of their own people. And so, as we have done in the past, we have risen up and we've shouted at least, or at least whispered, hey, we don't like what's going on. I want to take you through a couple of news articles that uh, appeared in just the last couple of days. Of course, the news is replete with with news and information about what's happening in our world. But I want to take that, and then I want to bring the Scriptures alongside and show you something about the time that we're living in. Here's the first one. It, uh, it appears on a website called Before It's News. Typically what happens, they take the risk, they'll throw some stuff out there, see what happens, then news agencies will pick it up. Here's the uh, headlines. World War III, Russia threatens catastrophic consequences of U.S.-led strikes in Syria. Now, whenever you put that little line on there, World War III, it raises all of our eyebrows, doesn't it? Because you're asking yourself, wait a minute, are we on the edge of that, or is this just another conflict like we've seen around the Middle East in in recent years, whether it's Iraq or whether it's in Afghanistan? And this article goes on to say, this could be that. They don't quote Ezekiel 38, 39. They may not even know that it exists, but they're saying something big could happen through this. Next one is Sky News. It says, uh, the headline is Syria, Russia and U.S. send warships to the Mediterranean. Now, whenever you begin to send warships, you do there either to kind of get everyone's attention and say, we're really serious and, uh, and we want to let you know that we have the power to do something, or you anticipate a conflict. The Telegraph, the British paper in the U.K., headline read this way, Syria, Russia evacuates citizens ahead of military strikes in the next few days. Now, Russia's saying, you know, something might happen, so we're going to put the warning out through their equivalent of their State Department and say, get out of Syria now. We don't know what's happening, but uh, or we do know what's happening, but we're not going to tell you what's happening. Our advice is get out of there because we're not going to try to get you out in the middle of an armed conflict. Now, let's look at Scripture. I want to take you to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 6. And in Jeremiah, I've I've, uh, called this sermon, Time is Running Out. And we know that is true. We know that we're living in last days. We know that the world is more complex than it's ever been. We don't know when Christ is going to return. We don't know when the tribulation comes. We don't have that kind of information. In fact, the Bible tells us we can't have the exact day or hour. But we can see some warning signs. We can see some evidence in Scripture. So Jeremiah chapter 6 says this. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see. I think those words, that phrase is especially appropriate for us to stand and see because we get so busy we don't take time to contemplate, to look, to evaluate what's really happening in our world. What do you see happening? And then it says, and ask for the old paths. In other words, I want to see what you're saying, God. I want to know what you're doing. What have you done in the past, and how should we live out our life? Where the good way is. Are people asking that? How do I I bring character and integrity into my life? How do I live my life according to the standards of Jesus Christ? 
How do I change my behavior? How do, I, how do I have less of those moments in my heart when I say, wow, I can't believe I did that? Anybody ever have those? Like, gosh, I should have thought that one through. Or, or just that longing for really purity in your life and that longing to really walk with God. And that's what Jeremiah is saying here. And he says, and walk in that. Walk in that. You know, the most comfortable pillow is a clean conscience. When you can lay your head down and you know that you've loved God, you've loved and served mankind, and you've walked with integrity, it's a great comforting thing in your life, is it not? It says, where the good way is and walk in it, then you will find rest for your souls. Oh, we can sleep at night and our souls are just going around and around, right? We're in turmoil internally. He said, no, I want your soul to be at rest. But they said, we will not walk in it. You see, the majority of people throughout history have said, we don't want God in our life, and we don't want the old ways, and we don't want what God is saying. We want to do what we want to do. That's why the psalmist said, the fool has said there is no God. You can also translate that in the Hebrew to say, the fool has said no God for me. I don't want God in my life. I'd prefer to be God. So it says here, we will not walk in it. Also, he said, I have set a watchman over you. Now, God says, I'm not leaving you without your prophets. I'm not leaving you without people who can tell you something about what's happening, whose hand is on the pulse. It's been amazing over the years that how God just seems to kind of give me insight into Scripture and prophetic things, and, and I believe it's just one of those watchman characteristics that I have in my life to, to help kind of announce and, and, and inform the body of Christ what's happening. And we've seen God bless that, and uh, next year we'll relaunch the prophecy conferences, and it'll be a great time to bring people together by the thousands that can hear the Word of God and hear what is happening in the kingdom of God in this earth itself. But he says, I set you as a watchman saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. Unusual, isn't it? Kind of an odd phrase. Listen to the sound of the trumpet. You see, in warfare, ancient and really recently modern, the sound of the trumpet was the sound of war. It was a sound of warning. It was a sound to say something is happening. Listen and pay attention to what's going on. In Scripture, the same thing is true. God has a trumpet warning that says, listen, listen, there are even the seven trumpets that are sounding in the book of Revelation. But I said, we will not listen. We will not listen to you. Therefore, hear, you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth. It's interesting that he puts those three categories together. He said, nations, listen to what's going on. Congregation, listen what's going on. Earth, listen what's going on. He talks uh, about the religious, they're the congregation. He talks about the nations that have unified around political and, and geographical lines, but then he also speaks to the physical earth itself because the earth itself is in turmoil. One day it will be released. One day it will function the way God wanted it to function. He says, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people. Which people? The ones who won't listen. The ones who won't listen. The fruit of their thoughts. How interesting is that? Do you know that every thought you have bears fruit? 
good or bad. It's not just a thought that stays with you. It actually produces something in your life and the life around, of those people around you. And you have bad thoughts, it's gonna produce bad fruit and it's going to affect everyone around you eventually. And it says here, the fruit of their thoughts because they have what? They have not heeded my words nor my law but rejected it. You know, the kingdom of God, when you think about the kingdom of God, it is the power and the authority of God on earth is an assault against the kingdom of darkness. Every time we speak the name of Jesus, we disrupt Satan's kingdom. Because there is no name, amen? There is no name given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. And when we speak that name, when we lift up that name, we absolutely disrupt darkness all around us. I'm so glad to have Ron and Kathy. Would you guys stand up right over here? Stand up. Uh, Ron is with a ministry and his wife called The Ridge. He was incarcerated falsely for 15 years, was released, started a ministry in 2000, uh, and then was released in 2006. They now minister all over Ohio to the families of prisoners, prisoners in, in there. And I just say thank you for disrupting the kingdom of darkness. Can we give them a big round of applause? I want you to see them afterwards. They'll be in the lobby and see one of his books and, and just see what God is doing there. But what we want to do is we want to mess up darkness everywhere we go. Amen? Just mess it up. Just get in the, in the face of darkness. You know, I, the, the most revealing thing happened there in, in the New Testament when all of a sudden this one Simon who wanted the power of God, he wanted, to, he wanted to get the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, give me that power. And then he tried to cast out a demon and the demon said this to him, Paul I know and Jesus I know, but who are you? You know what? When the demons don't know your name, you're in trouble, Amen. We want to have the power of God. Let me show you something. Here's what he said. Stand and see is what Jeremiah, stand and see what is happening all around you. How do you see? Well, it tells us there, stand in the way. That Hebrew phrase is a phrase that means a journey or a direction that speaks of moral character. It's not just getting in the way. It's not just looking. No, you stand in the way of moral character. You become a person of integrity in the name of Jesus Christ. I love that quote from Alexander Hamilton. He said, he who stands for nothing will fall for anything. What are you standing for? You have to stand strong for Jesus. You can't just kind of step back and say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. No, stand strong for Jesus. Edmund Burke put it like this, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing at all. So it's not good enough just to be good. You've got to do something about that. You've got to be a change agent in the world. You've got to be someone who takes that power of the Holy Spirit, lives it out in the authority of Jesus Christ. Then you've got to ask the right questions. I love the interviews that happen on the political arena when things don't go the way they're supposed to go. Let me give you an example. Headline for the New Yorker was, Obama promises serious strike will have no objective. (laughs) 
I don't know, but maybe we ought to have an objective. Just a thought, just a random thought. I know I'm not a military strategist, but I'm just thinking, what is the outcome? Now, it gets worse. Let me just quote that article to you. Our president always seems to like to begin with this line as if it's going to help make it clear. Let me be clear. He said in an interview on CNN, our goal will not be to affect regime change, alter the balance of power in Syria, or bring the civil war there to an end. We will simply do something random there for one or two days and then leave. Okay, let's just keep going here. I want to reassure our allies and the people of Syria that we are about to, what we're about to undertake, if we undertake it at all, will have no purpose or a goal. This is consistent, he goes on to say, with U.S. foreign policy of the past. Oh my gosh, if that's true, we're really in trouble. Now, I bring this to you not to point out that someone can foul up in a speech or in an interview. I bring it to you to say, if you're trusting in any administration, any political power for your victory and your sustenance, you're trusting in the wrong one. Trust in Jesus alone. Love your nation, pray for your nation, pray for your leaders, do what you can, but ultimately know it all comes down to Jesus, and he is the disruptor of darkness. He is the stability of your soul. He is the captain of your foundation. He is the anchor. He is the strong and mighty way. He is all and all and in all and all, and he is the alpha and the omega. To God be the glory, amen. I want you to know, too, not only ask the right questions, but get a prophetic glimpse. God showed me this the other day. I was thinking about, have you ever had those moments where you just kind of feel like something is true, and you just kind of get that little snapshot that goes off in your head? Well, that's kind of true, I think. And later, out, later you find it to be true, that God is speaking to you, maybe warning you about something. He may be giving you insight into something. He may be leading you down a road somewhere, but that's a little prophetic glimpse. Same thing's true in Scripture. Open the Word of God, and God speaks. Look at Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 28, and see what it says. Here's what Jesus said. He gave us a prophetic glimpse what the future will be like, but he always reminds us, don't worry. You see, you can be in the most turbulent situation, but if you have God on your side, you don't have to worry. The Bible says, have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with long suffering. Let your prayers be known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. Luke 21, and there will be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and on the earth, distress of nations. You see, we're living in some of those distressing times. With perplexity, people say, what do we do? We don't even know how to solve this problem. It's gotten too complex to solve. The sea and the waves roaring, men's heart falling from the fear of the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man. Now he's looking, taking us down the road prophetically. Now you'll see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up, lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Be of good hope, be of good cheer. I also want you to see you can find rest for your souls in God. How do you find rest in God? Well, you return to God. 
You return to God. If any one of you, if any one of us has this moment in our life where I say, I was closer to God then than I am now, then you need a return. If ever there was a time that Jesus was stronger in your heart than he is now, you need a return to God. You don't have to be far from God to return. You see, I can get in my car and I can drive two blocks and I still have to return home. I can drive all across the country, I still have to return home. So whatever distance you need to take, commit yourself right now and say, God, I want to I return to God. I need rest for my soul. In Matthew chapter 11, I love this scripture in 28 and 29. It's such a great scripture just to meditate on. It says, come unto me, you who labor and are heavy laden. That's just almost resting right there. But you see what he said? You come to me. I'm not going to you on this one. You come to me. You come to me. And I might give you rest. What's he say? I will give you rest. It's a promise, isn't it? This is a promise of God. I will give you rest. Now take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will, maybe if all things work out good, find rest for your souls. No, you will find rest for your souls. Just take that scripture and Go home today and just kind of meditate on it and just let it be a part of your life. Say, God, I need rest. My soul's in turmoil and I need you to strengthen me. Also, never give up on your hope. Hope is such a powerful thing. It's what, it's what keeps us moving forward, isn't it? We hope this is gonna happen. And, and in the Bible, the word hope means confident assurance that what God has promised, God will perform. Listen to the psalmist, Psalm 62, five. My soul... Wait silently for God alone. You know how you get to that point? When you finally ask everybody for advice and it hasn't worked. When you've tried everything you know to try, done everything you know to do, you go, okay, what do I do? I guess it's come down to you, God. God, I wait patiently. For my expectation is where? From him. I stop expecting man to do this. I just expect God to do this. He is my only, he alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I don't have to defend myself. Well, I'm just kind of worried what people are thinking about me. Well, don't. Don't let their thoughts dictate your life. You've got enough confusing thoughts going on in your head, amen? And what makes you even think they're even thinking about you? All right, look. I shall not be moved. I'm going to stand. I'm not going to be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength, and my refuge is in God, just in God. Henry Blackaby spelled out what he called seven realities. I just want to give you three of them right now. It goes like this. First of all, God is always at work around you. Wherever you are, God is at work. Second one, God pursues a love relationship with you that is real and personal. So God's working and he's pursuing this love relationship and then God invites you to become involved with him in his work. When you join God in what God is doing, you have success. When you try to get something going and invite God to join you, you got a 50-50 chance. 
Figure out where God is doing, what, where God is working, and join God in that endeavor, and let God begin to just open the doors of heaven and bless you and pour out his spirit upon you in a, in a mighty way. And then listen to the sound of the trumpet, we're told in the book of Jeremiah. Listen, what's the trumpet saying right now? Well, let me take you back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 17, and verse 1. Because Jeremiah 17 says something about Damascus. That's a concern for us because Damascus is really the hotbed of what's happening in Syria. It is also the place that biblically is laid out and described by God as a prophetic signpost. Isaiah 17, 1, the burden against Damascus. God says, I have a burden. I have a problem, and it's against Damascus. Now, Isaiah was writing at about 700 B.C., so he was writing 2,700 years ago. My burden against Damascus, behold, Damascus will cease from being a city, and it will be a ruinous heap. Now, that's never happened. Damascus has been attacked, it has been almost wiped off the map, but it has never been wiped off the map. Damascus is one of the oldest inhabited cities in the world. It dates back, it's mentioned back in Genesis chapter 14 and verse 15, chapter 15 and verse 2. Islam claims it is their city, but Islam is a very late comer in this whole game. They, Islam didn't even birth, the era began in 635 A.D., so you think about this, that, that you've got a thousand years before Islam was even birthed, that God said, I have something against Damascus, and it's only get worse as days go on. Amos chapter 1 and verse 3 says this, for three transgressions of Damascus, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. God says, I'm going to give them three chances, but on the fourth, I'm not going to. I don't know if we're on the doorstep of the fourth, but let me explain a bit of the first three. Syria has engaged with three wars against Israel. 1948, 1967, and 1973. But I believe the fourth time will bring about serious downfall marked by the total destruction of its capital, Damascus. This will be a prophetic sign of even greater significance for what is going to follow. A direct invasion into Israel by Russia, supported by Iran, which is the ancient name Persia, and Russia's other allies, as described in the book by the prophet Ezekiel, chapters 38 and 39. You see, God knows all these things. He says this in Isaiah 46, for I am the Lord your God. There is no other. There is no other God. I am God and there is none like me declaring, now listen to this, the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. You see, God is the greatest and only accurate prophet on planet earth 100% of the time. He says, you know why I can tell you what's going to happen over here in Damascus? You know why I can tell you something about this? Because I know the beginning from the end. I am the Alpha, the Omega. I am God. God loves trumpets for some reason. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend. This is what we look for. This is the rapture. He will descend from heaven with a shout. God loves shouting. Don't be afraid to shout once in a while. It's okay. The voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. 
I can only imagine what that sounds like. You know, God, when he speaks to me in my heart, it's loud and it's clear. Imagine this, descending from heaven with a shout, the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of God, and then it says this, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's the rapture. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. The time is near. It's time to believe. It's time to trust. And the only one who can save your soul is time to trust in Jesus. Two guys with parachutes jumped out of a plane. The one man said, I have a parachute. I don't have to do anything. The other man had his hand on the ripcord. He said, I have a parachute, but I have a responsibility. I have to decide to do something. The man with his hand on the ripcord pulled the ripcord. The parachute engaged, safely fell to earth. The other man's fate was not quite as good. You see, the offer of Jesus for salvation is an offer to say, you have to believe. But it's not enough to say, I believe. I have to make a decision to believe. I have to say, I trust Jesus died, buried, and rose from the dead that I might have eternal life. I want you to have that opportunity this morning because the time is near. Would you stand with me as we pray? Let me ask you, is your hand on the ripcord? Are you simply trusting the parachute? It takes more than just a belief about God. It takes a belief in God. It takes a conscious decision on your part to say, I choose to trust in Jesus. I choose to call upon his name. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, here's the promise, you will be saved. Salvation is not about going to church. It's not about being baptized. It's not about following after some teaching. It's simply about faith in the buried, resurrected Jesus Christ. If you've never prayed a prayer like that, I'm going to encourage you to pray with me right now as I lead you in that kind of a prayer. Just repeat after me in your own heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you were buried and that you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. This morning, with my hand on the ripcord, I engage the parachute of salvation to know safety, to know joy, to know salvation. I trust in Jesus. Lord Jesus, right now, save me. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life and give me the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of salvation. Maybe that was your prayer today. If that was your prayer, would you just slip your hand up? Just slip it up for a moment. Just raise your hand up with me right now for a moment. God bless you. Anyone else? Just raise it up. Anyone else? Eight or ten people lifted their hands already. God bless you. Anyone else? I want to just encourage you to follow Jesus. Trust him all the way. You can put your hands down. As you walk with Jesus, we want to help you. We want to be a partner to you. Catch up with one of us after the service if you want some guidance, some leadership. We want to know where to go from here. But as we, uh, as we worship the Lord right now, as you sing this song, would you just sing it out with your whole heart?
giving him glory and praise in his name.